You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked On Rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. What is up? What is up? You are listening to Locked On NBA Draft. This is your host, Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. And I have a guest today that I'm honored that he's on the show. It is Chad Ford, who, in my opinion, is a pioneer in this whole NBA draft big board space so I'm thankful that he has taken time out of his busy schedule to come on the show Chad how are you doing today doing great so excited to to be on your show I've appreciated you coming on mine a couple of times and just always stoked to talk NBA draft yeah it's that that time of year and I have mentioned that you are a pioneer in this in this draft space and I've been getting a lot of people reaching out to me and asking me my opinion on the best way to get started in the whole NBA draft world. And I'm, I have my answer, which is probably a lot easier because things are different. And for you, how did you get started? Because you, like I said, you're like a pioneer. Yeah. So there weren't many, there wasn't like a path to follow. You kind of blazed the trail. Well, you know, I, I think there's uh, there's always been somewhat of a difference in my draft coverage and a lot of other draft coverage in that I, I don't really necessarily consider myself an expert talent evaluator. I have my opinions. I spend a lot of time, you know, on it, but I've always felt like the folks that have the six-figure or seven-figure jobs, you know, doing this. Um, and who have all the elite resources are the ones that are the expert talent evaluators. And so, you know, I always approach the draft from the, from the standpoint of a reporter. Can I build relationships with NBA scouts? Can I build relationships with, with NBA general managers who are ultimately making decision maker making? And then if I can build enough relationships, can I put together a consensus around what I think people are thinking? There's obviously a lot of variance in that consensus, but the more experts that you talk to, the more that you start to get a, a bigger picture about a player, their strengths and their weaknesses. And, and so that's how I started approaching it at first. So back in the day of sportstalk.com, which is even pre-ESPN, uh, you know, it was taking all of this information and compiling it into, into something. Uh, and then, you know, over time, I started getting out and scouting more. Uh, I traveled with NBA scouts. Uh, you know, a lot of my work early on in the early 2000s was overseas. Definitely probably was a pioneer as far as, uh, you know, a journalist or a draft writer, you know, going overseas and just essentially embedding uh, with NBA scouts overseas. Of course, I'm, I'm famous for Darko, you know, Darko Milicic and going over and, you know, seeing Darko in Serbia and falling in love with Darko and, and being very wrong uh, about Darko Milicic. But the... Um, you know, that was a process then of really beginning to learn the craft, like what it was like, what they were doing, you know, especially when we were over internationally, I'd be traveling with the same five, six scouts 
as we would just go from one gym to the next and, you know, moving from country to country. And, you know, a lot of it was just picking their brain about what's their process, what have you. Same thing with general managers. You know, I pick their brains a lot about how do, how does your team approach the draft? You know, how do you weigh different things from medicals to, you know, psychological reports to background checks to, you know, what are the areas that you see as red flags? How do you handle analytics? And, you know, all of that to me has just been a learning a learning process. I know a lot of people approach this from a scouting background or from a coaching background or from a breaking tape, breaking down tape background. And that that's their approach. And they're really giving you their opinions. But I, I still always feel more comfortable at the end of the day, relying on sort of the wisdom of the expert crowd uh, of, of those scouts and general managers than I, than I do my own. And I think that sort of plays out over time. Like, for example, I think we were talking the other day, you know, I, I didn't love Trey Young. Uh, so much, you know, before the draft personally, right. but, but scouts did, uh, right. I mean, obviously it was a top five pick in the draft. They were, they were right. Occasionally, you know, uh, like Hashim Thabit, I think I was right. I was questioning everybody. How is this guy, the number two pick in the draft? I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, so it goes both ways, but in general, that's been my approach. And so, you know, my advice to people is, is, you know, more, you know, the direction you've come out of the sort of scouting, breaking down film, you know, that, that is obviously one direction to get in. It's actually probably the best direction to get in with an NBA team uh, because, you know, get, be, being the guy that breaks down tape is sort of one of the entry level jobs into a front office, but that can lead to a much, much better job. And then I think for the people that are more on the journalistic side, um, you know, thinking about how we use the same tools that reporters use to break news to build relationships with people and to start to, you know, sort of gather information. Well, that's why you had mentioned some, but that's why I feel like your path is so, it was so much more difficult because in today's world, you can get a synergy account, you can watch games and you can create your own content to get your way in. Yeah. Back in the late nineties and early two thousands, the player's film was not as accessible. Right. And when you talked about uh, scouting Darko, that's, I'm sure that's a story that you could probably tell forever. And what's funny about that story is it was an NBA general manager. At, I want to say it was 2004 and um, won't mention his name, but someone that I, I consider a friend and I was talking to him and I'm still new into the pro basketball world. And I made the comment about Darko and he says, he's lucky that it wasn't him selecting because he would have made the same choice because he was so impressed with Darko and it just shows that he's still employed to this day as a general manager of a team and he's saying if he, if he were like I said in that position he would have made the same choice and he may not be the general manager of a team today and it just shows how one pick can determine your career your franchise back then as far as Darko what exactly did you see with him then? And then as far as how it not worked out, what do you think was the reason behind that? Yeah, um, I, you know, by the way, I had quite a few great contacts back then. I would say probably in the neighborhood of 25 out of the 30 general managers in the NBA would have taken Darko number two. That's what he told uh, me. One, one, one general manager who flat out told me he thought Darko was a mistake was Jerry West. Uh, who was the general manager of the Grizzlies at the time. And I don't know if you remember in that draft, the Grizzlies ended up actually with the second pick in the draft, uh, but because of 
a previous trade that it had to go to Detroit. And so that's actually how the Pistons who were in the, in the playoff, I think in the Eastern conference finals that year, right. um, and ended up actually getting, you know, Darko number one. And so there were, there were people out there who were skeptical. I think that, you know, when you're talking about to this day, a seven footer who moves as well athletically as Darko moved, who had the you know feel for the game, the passing ability, um, the ability to st- his, his perimeter game wasn't completely fleshed out yet, but you could see the makings of it. And he played with a chip on his shoulder in Serbia. He played with a toughness and an aggressiveness that, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not exaggerating to say that most people thought he was going to be a dominant, dominant NBA center. Uh, and, and, and I was one of them. Absolutely. I think that the, there was a couple of things that I didn't take into account. I was young and there were some things that, that I didn't understand about translating to the next level. Uh, one was, you know, Darko spoke very little English. Um, he hadn't traveled a lot. Um, the adjustment to Detroit was a major, major life adjustment for him. He at the time, he was the youngest player in the draft. They actually had to um, get a clarification from the NBA PA on the rule about whether dark, whether you had to be, at, I think at the time, 19 at the, or it was 18, I think actually, it was, it was the age limit was different. You had to be 18 at the time of the draft or, or in the draft year. Uh, and there, it, was, it wasn't clear in the language and they, they had to go to arbitration over this and they eventually won and Darko got in. So I don't think he was even 18 years old at the time of the draft, I think he turned 18 in that draft year, or maybe 19, I can't remember which one it was, but he was extremely young. In just a moment, I want to talk to Chad and do a deeper dive on why he thinks the Darko experience, well, I shouldn't say failed, but why he struggled so much adapting to the NBA. But first I wanna talk to you about Indeed. Let's say you're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier, which means you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. All you do is post, screen, and interview, and it's all on Indeed. Indeed makes connecting and hiring the right talent fast and easy with tools like Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume, which will be on Indeed, fit your job description immediately. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests and then add must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to TalentNest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So you can get started right now with a $75 sponsored credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com locked. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash locked indeed.com slash locked offer valid through june 30th terms and conditions apply i also want to talk about built bar which is the best tasting protein bar on the market i've been talking about built bar literally every single episode since i joined the locked on network because i'm a big fan of built bar it is a protein bar that is 100% chocolate on all bars. They have a crazy amount of flavors like coconut almond, mint brownie, salted caramel, raspberry, peanut butter brownie, which is my favorite, by the way. You have coconut, you have double chocolate, cookies and cream, which probably ranks as my second favorite. And then there's cherry barcia. And again, this is a protein bar that is 100% chocolate on all bars. 
They also have a birthday cake flavor. Yeah, a birthday cake flavor that is made with 100% white chocolate and it tastes like a birthday cake. So again, Built Bar, I mean, it's nine delicious flavors. And not only are Built Bar's flavors the best tasting, they're healthy, 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar. But you can order today at builtbar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off at builtbar.com. You're listening to Locked On NBA Draft. This is Rafael Barlow with my guest, Chad Ford. And when we left off, we talked about Darko Milicic's struggles to adapting to the NBA. And the other thing was that Darko believed the hype. He really believed he was going to be the next great thing. And when he got to a very established team in Detroit with a coach, Larry Brown, that doesn't like to play rookies, it was a he took it as a very personal affront that he wasn't getting big minutes, even though Ben Wallace was the center. Um, you know, back then, Memo Okur was on that team. Rashid Wallace ends up sort of on that team. I mean, there's lots of lots of NBA veterans that you wouldn't play Darko ahead of. Darko took it very personally. He felt very betrayed by the team. He felt like they weren't developing him. And all of that started to really sort of eat away at his confidence, um, his frustration. Um, and, and, you know, the mental aspect of the game is a very real part of this. For most prospects, not all, but for most prospects, where you land the right coach, the right system, the right development may mean the difference between you being an all-star someday and you being out of the league. Now, there's a few people like LeBron. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what system, what coach. LeBron transcends it all. But for a lot of other prospects, that's just the case. And in Darko's case, I think he landed on the wrong team. Um, I think the transition to the U.S., which we've seen with some other international players, was much bigger for him than, than, it, than I, I had sort of thought or anticipated. And then, you know, some of it was that you just kind of, frankly, Darko got so jaded, he kind of gave up. He just kind of quit caring uh, and, you know, quit developing and working on his game. And I think the other thing that we know about prospects is that every year that summer, the best players work on their game. The best players are coming in and figuring out what is the next step and how do I get to that next level? And, and none of that really happened with Darko and, and you know, he washed out. Uh, so, you know, the talent was there, but there was a lot of other factors that were in play. And I, I was a young enough draft analyst that, you know, the talent wowed me. Uh, and, and I didn't look at really any, any of those other factors. And if you really think about it, what other profession is relying on an 18 year old to change, you know, like, like you can't go to corporate America and a boss is going to hire an 18 year old and it changes the whole company the landscape of the company and that's why I feel like sports and even entertainment in a sense you're expecting these teenagers or people that are in their early 20s who are more than likely at their financial peak when they're immature and they're not ready Mm -hmm. but in in most fields you know you're at your financial peak when you're in your 40s or your 50s and you have a 18 year old who you're giving a lot of money to you're throwing in a totally different environment and you're expecting him to succeed which to me makes scouting or even just being a decision maker in the NBA really tough I 
think the one thing that I've had to learn, well, you know, a couple of things, just one final note on Darko, the other guy that Joe Dumars and the Pistons actually really liked, I was actually very close with the team at that time. I was doing some in-depth stuff with ESPN with Darko. So I got around was Chris Bosch. Um, I actually don't think they would have taken Carmelo Anthony too. Larry Brown really didn't like Carmelo Anthony. I, I don't, I don't think that was going to be the guy um, for them. Uh, it would have been Chris Bosch. And you almost wonder had it been reversed and had Darko gone to uh, Toronto and had Chris Bosch been in Detroit, whether we may have seen two very different careers um, from two different prospects because a skinny young Chris Bosch also probably doesn't earn minutes yeah. in that, in that veteran Detroit um, rotation um, as well. And may, you know, who knows how he would have reacted to all of that instead of what he got in Toronto, where he got a chance to really grow and, and you know develop this game and so that's that's really interesting but I, I think the other thing that I've really learned as a draft analyst is that I just have to be okay with being wrong yeah um this is not an exact science uh I've followed people that you know I deeply revere like Jerry West like Danny Ainge like actually Joe Dumars who I I I personally feel is a basketball genius um he got Darko wrong he's gotten other prospects wrong he's also got a lot of things right you know over the years um as well they get stuff wrong. Um, I don't have, in my opinion, nearly the basketball background or expertise that they do. I'm going to get stuff wrong. And, you know, to me, the draft is more about hope. It's about, it's about projecting and it's, it's meant to be fun. Uh, it, it's meant to be something where every, every fan of every team can project a little bit that oh, maybe if the Knicks get Bones Highland in the twenties, he's gonna, he's gonna blow up and, and, you know, be the next star. And, you know, that's to me is the beauty and the fun of the draft. And I never quite understand sometimes the venom that comes out of NBA draft Twitter about, you know, about stuff being wrong. Like it's, it's just part of the, it's part of the game because these are human beings. These aren't robots. And, you know, no matter how we put our analytics together, no matter how we put our stats together, there's so much that we can't totally understand that there's a bit of luck in all of this. And then on top of that, then you got to pray the guy stays healthy. Yeah. Like Christoph's Porzingis, you know, um, I love Christoph's Porzingis coming in the draft. He's struggled to stay healthy his whole career. I think it's affected the trajectory, um, you know, of, of, of his career and Dante Exum. I really like Dante Exum coming out of coming out of Australia. He could not stay healthy for the first few years of his career and he missed all that really deeply important developmental time and you know it never turned out like you know that's that's part that you know sometimes you can have a clean medical record going into the draft and you can get hurt you know I mean to, to, to this day that's what the Blazers uh, claim with Greg Oden that that the medical report was okay and he hurt himself in the in the summer uh, and you know never was never was Greg Oden again man this is good stuff when we return i want to ask chad about the difference in scouting over the years today on road to the finals our nba playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob ultra it's only worth it if you enjoy it and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories we all enjoy the games a little bit more this season and i want to talk about chris paul and the Phoenix Suns. Now, I personally, maybe not on record on Locked On, have been critical of Chris Paul. I've always talked about how he has been in the league since, I believe, 2006, and he's only 
been past the second round once and I was with Houston and how he seemed to always be unavailable at the wrong times for his teams due to injuries that happened in LA that happened in Houston but Chris Paul has stepped up and has led the Phoenix Suns yes the Phoenix Suns to the Western Conference Finals so I have to give my props to Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns and he is my Michelob Ultra player of the day and if you're looking to bet on the phoenix suns bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action baseball is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online get all the latest news and odds and info and your sporting needs including major league baseball nba nhl and even ufc and mma action before the next pitch or the next tip-off or the next punch or when the bell rings head over to bet online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news sign up bonuses and contest information do not sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the games as teams make their run through the playoffs head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sports experts promo code lock on. All right, you're listening to Locked On NBA Draft. This is Raphael from NBA Draft Junkies. Have my guest Chad Ford, and he is giving, I mean, just great insight on on his background. So the question I have for you, and this is something that I've I've been wanting to ask for for a while. In your opinion, what is the biggest difference in scouting today? as opposed to 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or five years ago, because yeah. the game has changed so much. Yeah. Well, if you go back to the beginning, when I was first starting to do this, when, when I went out internationally, Raphael, there was about seven, eight teams that really heavily scouted internationally. And almost every other team just relied on a scouting service um, that was a sort of generic scouting service that sent out reports. Um, for that. So, I mean, that, that might surprise you, but like, you know, when we were out on the road with Darko, there was only a handful of scouts and even a smaller handful of general managers who had ever actually seen him play live. Uh, and, and, you know, today that would just never happen. Like Luka Doncic, every general manager, every scout of the league had seen Luka Doncic play, you know, sort of multiple times. And, and so, you know, one is that you're seeing it, it, it's become, it's become a lot more professional. Um, you know, Marty Blake and Associates, I mean, this is a shout out to really old school people who sort of yeah. ran the NBA draft scouting service. You know, that was sort of a mom and pop shop. Uh, it, you know, with a lot of assumptions, if you've ever watched Moneyball that, you know, the movie about baseball yeah. and all the scouts are sitting around saying, I don't like his face or, uh, you know, things like that. That's what NBA scouting looked like when I started as well. You know, the, the comment, I didn't like his face might be enough to, to, to sink a draft stock. So the you know, professionalism of the scouting, um, the systems that have been put in place by teams, the introduction of analytics, a lot more attention because of you know, the advent of Synergy, which Synergy wasn't around at, at first when I started either, that made it a lot easier um, to break down tape. Um, I used to sit with general managers on planes and uh, in hotel rooms and they're sticking a DVD in and watching a really grainy you know, video trying to catch up Kind of trying to catch up on prospects, you know, all of that has changed, uh, and 
and you know, I think you know, generally for the better. I, I think that most teams now have extremely professional scouting service. Uh, they have systems in place uh, that check things. That the comments, the anecdotal stuff, doesn't carry the weight uh, that it carries anymore. You have to have facts behind what it is that you're you're saying um, in the draft room. I know this is a big change, but for a lot of NBA teams, they now keep track of what their scouts are actually saying and reporting, where before they would just come to these meetings. That, that now everything is tracked in databases. Every conversation is tracked in databases. And then they can actually track the performance of their scouts uh, as well and sort of what they're saying. Because you know the, the old joke, at least for me, and I also as a reporter took notes. And so this was one of the things that I could also tell because I'd have these conversations with people. Even though I'm using them as anonymous sources, I knew who said what is that people come back afterwards and say, oh yeah, I wasn't high on Darko at all. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tried to tell everybody, you know, and all, suddenly 95% of the scouts in the NBA say, oh yeah, I was totally down on Darko. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, that general manager was unusually candid to you, um, you know, that they were in that place and you just can't get away with that anymore. Um, anymore, they're going to be like, well, on 313, you, you provided this report and you said this guy was going to be an all-star. Um, and so, you know, I think I think all of that interestingly means that the the game has professionalized in a really big way about how they approach this, how they approach the the medical. I'm um, using P3 out in Santa Barbara um, to do you know much more advanced medical testing, all of that stuff. But here's the thing that's still fascinating to me: much millions of dollars, much more professional scouting. Scouts in general, I think, are highly skilled, more highly skilled than they've been in the past, and people still get it wrong all the time. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing about the NBA draft. Like all of these improvements have been made, but one thing I'd really like to see is someone do a study to say, have any of those improvements really led to better accuracy in getting the picks right in the draft? And just by eyeballing it, and I haven't done the study, but just by eyeballing it, I think the answer is probably no, or it's negligible. I agree hundred percent. And I feel like you can probably say the same for injuries. You know, like they, they have all this technology and guys are still missing a lot of time with soft tissue injuries. Yeah. All right. Yeah. P3 can, P3 can do like incredible stuff about mm -hmm. showing you how you run or jump or how you land and how it's likely to uh, lead to an injury down the road. They can change all of that and you can still have a freak accident on the court. You can jump up and land on someone's ankle and, and uh, you know, it's over. Yeah. I, I agree hundred percent. So as far as like the changing of scouting and I'll use, I use Luca Garza. For example, mm. the NBA has changed. And in my opinion, if this was 2001 instead of 2021, I think Luca Garza is a lottery pick. I 100% how, how agree. It? How have you had Rafael Arujo was a lottery pick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, yeah. So obviously, when I started Bigs Ring, uh, you know, when the Gray Goat and Kevin Durant draft, you know, everybody scratches their head. How was Kevin Durant not the number one pick? And he was clearly the best player. Yeah. But the thinking, even I think that was the 2006 Seven. or 2000, 2007 draft, even the thinking in 2007 is you don't pass on a center that has the size and athleticism and skill set of Greg Oden. I don't care how skilled Kevin Durant is. Um, right. And in fact, in interesting ways, Kevin Durant was still the emerging type of, you know, six, six, 11 uh, shoots it on the perimeter, you know, wing that NBA teams theoretically liked, but 
hadn't really become the established norm yet in the MBA. And so for many people sort of thinking about that, that's that's even up to 2007. I think the thinking was Andrea Bargiani goes uh, number one, you know, sort of a year before. Yeah, so the big men thing has really changed. And I think it was really the Jalil Okafor draft that you really started to feel like, I mean, Jalil Okafor was really dominant at Duke. And, you know, based off again, 10, 15 years ago, Jalil Okafor was the no-brainer number one pick in the draft. And he slides, he slides only to three in that draft. But I think it was like really early on with the Sixers that you could start to get the feeling, oh man, Jalil Okafor, he's going to have a hard time carving out a, a, any sort of career um, in the NBA. The game has just changed um, that much. And, you know, it's interesting, Nikola Vucevic wins, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Nikola Jokic, Jokic wins, um, you know, MVP, Joel Embiid's number two um, this year. There's still a place in the NBA for big men. And the interesting thing is Jokic and Embiid are completely different players, um, right? It's not like there's a certain style of center that now we know that we can go because I still think to this day with Jokic, if Jokic was in this draft, I still don't know whether he goes in the first round. Yeah, um, I, I agree. You, I, you know, I, I, I still don't know. You know, in fact, I read a really cool article, I think it was in The Athletic uh, with Tim Conley, who's the general manager um, or president of basketball operations for the Nuggets, who passed on Jokic several times and essentially gave the anecdote. We had no idea. I mean, of course, we would have drafted him with our first pick if we knew anything like this. Like, we didn't know. In fact, all of the telltale signs that we typically think about in the draft pointed to we were reaching, taking him when we took him. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and so, you know, there's still there's still these outliers like Jokic that I still don't know how to create a system that identifies players like that. And and, and you feel really comfortable in what they're going to become, you know, at the next level. I feel like with between those two, even though they're totally different. They both have the skill sets that I feel that you need from a center in order to win. I think your center either has to be an anchor on the defensive end mm -hmm. or be able to space the floor, which allows, you know, your guards to be able to penetrate and get open looks. And I feel like even though Jokic isn't an anchor on the defensive end, he makes up for it with his passing and his ability to mm -hmm. stretch the floor. And Embiid is just, you know, he can stretch the floor. If you need him to, he can anchor defense and he can score. I feel like if you don't have, if your center can't do both, then you're in, in trouble. And I think that's where a guy like Jalil Okafor falls in. He can't anchor a defense and he's not going to stretch the floor. And you have to be able to do, you're saying you have to be able to at least do one of those two things. Yes. At a really yeah, high yeah. level. Yeah. And um, I, I think of guys like Enos Cantor doesn't really do both. He's going to get you good numbers during the regular season but during the playoffs you can't really play on 25 minutes per game yeah all right and uh and you know we should also just mention that rudy uh Go gobert is you know obviously the defensive player of the year and in my mind should have been ranked much higher in the mvp ratings because what he does if you actually watch the game and watch the jazz and look at what he does uh, for a team every day. It's, it's pretty amazing. And that's, it kind of fits my theory. He can anchor uh, a defense and he can change everything. I mean, I agree with the MVP thing. I think Donovan Mitchell may have played 51 games and Utah still ended up number one. That 
there's not many teams where you can lose a guy like Donovan Mitchell and still end up with the the number one seed in the West. You have to watch the games closely to see all the little things that Rudy does uh, changing offenses completely, but even on uh, offense, um, the gravity that he pulls um, players away and makes things, you know, open up for, for the rest of the jazz team. Um, But now we're talking about three players, all bigs and Rudy, another guy who slides. And I was there at the draft camp in Chicago, the combine um, at the time where he looked awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you looked at him and said, how in the world, you know, this guy's tall and he's long, um, but he's soft and he looked out of shape and um, you know, all the skill drills, he looked like completely lost on um, and, you know, kudos to the jazz for seeing uh, someone who, you know, in, again, like in my mind was probably a top three MVP candidate uh, this year. Um, and they, and, they, and they, they saw it. I mean, they told me when they drafted him, this is the steal of the draft. I mean, they were, they were adamant to me when they drafted him that, that we just suckered everybody in the league right now um, with this guy. And, you know, they were right. I mean, general managers can have, have that hyperbole, but actually most, most of them temper yeah. when they draft players, you know, we'll see, let's give it time, whatever. But I mean, the jazz were just adamant that Rudy was going to be a star. And ironically, the only other player that the Jazz have drafted who they were absolutely adamant was going to be a star um, was Donovan Mitchell. Um, They said the exact same thing to me. Trust us, this guy is going to to come back and look at redrafts and say he should have been one of the top three picks in this draft. And I think Mitchell was late lottery and Rudy was 27. And Rudy was in Dallas. He he did a lot of his pre-draft stuff in Dallas. So I would see him around and I remember when he played for Bakersfield you could not have told me when he was the starting center for the Bakersfield jam that he was going to be who he is today and like you said a guy who should have received more MVP votes I'd like to thank Chad for for coming on the locked on NBA draft podcast this episode was in my opinion it was so good I had so much fun that we we ended up going really overboard. And so I'm going to have to break this episode up into two parts. So the next part will air on Thursday. But today on the Locked On Today podcast, the question is, can the Clippers follow in the Bucks' footsteps? Get more of your sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, this is Raphael with Locked On NBA Draft, and I'm out.